It is the 570th edition of the Chair Shop Podcast, back here of a Sunday evening. Uh, and hold on a second there, lads. Now I'm just firing up the little AI uh, uh, art bot. I'm like, uh, three great pals having an absolute laugh of a Sunday <laughs> evening, talking about various bits and bobs and, and, and media. Oh, wait, there it is. It's us. Uh, well, it really can do anything, can't it? Um, <laughs> it's the Shirt Podcast back after a week off and a week uh, with a guest host, our first guest host in, in uh, many a moon. Uh, uh, so we are back here in uh, uh, our original form. Uh, yeah, and we have a absolutely jam-packed, stuffed to the gills uh, run sheet of things to get to. Um, I will say while I was away, I, um, uh, I, I attended a wedding that was quite nice. It was my, uh, uh, I was about to say my sister. I don't have a sister. It was my girlfriend's sister's wedding. I have a sister, by the way, everyone. Oh, I forgot to tell you. It's only been 30 years. Um, it's my new hilarious character I'm about to debut, which is just me uh, putting a, a high frequency filter on my microphone. Um, but uh, no, it was it was really lovely, really really nice, um, uh, like the best quality hotel food I've ever had in my life. Which might seem like a low bar, but it was really tasty, um, and it was lovely. You got to see all of the uh, meet so many of the of the girlfriend's family and 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 the, all of that. It was really great. Uh, but more important than that, lads, while I was away uh, last week, I did an escape room, right? Ooh. And that's that's the real that's the real uh, that's the real. Uh, 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 meat of, of my away time that I, I want to chat about. Not that it was not that it was especially notable. It was um, uh, we did win in allegedly the hardest room in the whole facility. I mean, I'm not bragging or anything like that, but you know, it was it was pretty uh, pretty good team effort. I the funny thing is, I the first time I heard about an escape room was about ten years ago on a podcast, and it was a video game podcast, and they described it as like a, a real life point and click adventure game. And just like those adventure games, I'm terrible at escape rooms. If if it takes, I've done two now, and if it takes, let's say roughly, you kind of have to solve twenty unique puzzles to get out of an escape room. I feel like I always contribute to like two. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And there are probably two that if I didn't get them, someone else would have along the way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like escape rooms are a really good endeavor in making you realize you're not quite as clever as you think you are um uh because i i think i think they can actually be quite challenging it's probably a testament to the fact that i've been to good ones because it'd be very easy to do a shit lazy one and just put a fucking key under a table and go oh he figured it out and write a little note that said, Blackbeard the pirate loved his key so much, but he put it under a thing that has four legs and is made of wood. You know, you could, you know, you could, you could phone it in. But uh, the one I went to was quite good. Um, so yeah, many, uh, 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 many a good time was had. I'd love to do another one, um, uh, and I will say, I think, I think it was just called Escape Exclamation Mark. Uh, Limerick, I believe, was the name of the place. They did, they did a good job, and they have multiple rooms. So I'd love to go back. We should do one as a group. Yes, that would be that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Some kind of wrestling themed one. Do a podcast yeah. inside the room. Spell <laughs> 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 escape without CSP. Oh. oh, oh, that's pretty good. That could be the name of the the episode. 
uh, it would eventually do it. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's about it. Um, uh, busy, busy few weekends, busy few weeks with the uh, ongoing house stuff. Um, but yeah, what about you, boys? How how have things been in the interim? Pretty fucking bad, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so as I as I um, let Barry and Joe know before we start recording. Um, I'm I'm uh, on my own today without uh, the lovely Natty, and uh, that's the way it'll continue for the foreseeable future. Um, because Natty and I unfortunately broke up today after eight years and two months and four days, which is a long old run. Mm. Hello, run. And um, it sucks. It really sucks. But um. You know, it's it's still so fresh that it's like it hasn't quite hit yet, I suppose. Right. Um so rather than being like completely overwhelmed by it, I I still feel like I'm in a weird, like bad dream. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean I don't have too much to say about it because I'll just get upset. But yeah. No, I get you. We've, we've, I, 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 you know, I think, I think, I think this is a seasoned podcast in, in, in that regard. We've, uh, yeah. <laughs> we've, 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 we've all been through the mill. Um, uh, there is no, uh, I, I, there is also, there's no magic word or want to wave or anything like that that just makes it easier, unfortunately. It is, and this is the, the reality, but also the least helpful thing in the world. It is one of those just time heals all wounds type situations, yeah. you know. Um, you, you know, you'll run the gamut. I'm sure. As you, I, I, I preach to the choir here. You know this. I mean, uh, you know, but it's you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's it's it was really really sad to hear. Um, uh, uh, and as it has been multiple times in the last few years, and this year specifically, hopefully, uh, doing this show might be some bit of uh, yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, uh, yeah, as it has been I, for all three of us multiple times in in this show's uh, run. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No. I feel like it might have been a hangover from the old pandemic being in in uh, close proximity for, mm-hmm. for so long. Certainly, the last few weeks. I don't want to. You know, it's my personal shit. So I don't want to get too deep into. Uh, and then I said to her, mm-hmm. <laughs> advice. You know. But definitely everything with work and as, as I've been saying the podcast work for since I took the job, I basically have no free time for really doing anything. Natty's work was the same. I just want to as well say it wasn't like a big fight and we hate each other. That's not mm. the case. But the pressure built up and built up and built up. And, um, you know, sometimes... It's just it's a pressure cooker that there's there's no good way to come out of it necessarily, mm. and um, yeah. So maybe I can talk more about it next week when I'm a bit more calm mm. <laughs> and not immediately reacting to it. But um, yeah, no, I'm happy to be doing this so that I can talk about the eight movies I've watched and and have a bit of crack, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, talk about and also maybe next week. Maybe don't even want to talk about it anymore, which is also fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, we'll see. We'll see. 
take it take I thought say take each day it comes take each episode of CSP as it comes <laughs> as I believe the Bible says. Now, do I tell Michelle before she listens to the podcast or what? Oh, <laughs> God. Do I let her find out? She'll run in and say, oh, you didn't tell me that. It's like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, very sorry to hear that. Before the show, of course, we were, so Paul and I were discussing both having uh, bits of bad news. Uh, we were kind of wondering whose would be the saddest. Well, mine's kind of probably equally as sad, but in a different way. So. First uh, of June, which was just before the kind of bank holiday here, found out that my granddad had died. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Jeff. So yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, he was he was 88, so he's not like obviously young man. I mean, I'm not that young anymore. Fucking hell. So my grand, granddad's not that young. Um, and he'd been kind of unwell during the pandemic as well. It was kind of you know yeah. I think it affected a lot of people. So it's one of those where you kind of know that it's going to happen someday, but you can't really figure out when or you, you can never really prepare for it. So yeah, obviously very sad, but I'm kind of black. Like, yeah. I had, I've had, you know, two grandparents right up to the age of 37. I am now. So, uh, you can't be too, um, can't be too ungrateful about that. You know, you got to look back no. and think, Hey, you know, that's had a lot of good times. Always live very close to them as well. So we used to see a lot of them. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, there's no no matter what the age, there's no there's no good time no. to have to deal with that, is there? No, you know? no, you know, you never kind of expect, quite yeah expect it like that. But um, yeah, there we go. We try and remember that the good memories, the happy times, and and go on and try and make more. That's what that's the way I look at it. Um, so that was that, and then I also went to a wedding myself. Um, oh yeah, okay. About just at the end of the the other side of the uh, platinum jubilee weekend, which we had here in uh, the United Kingdom. Um, went to a, a wedding on the Monday. It was a big Indian wedding, which I've never been to before. Um, so I did go on a bit. It was like a couple of hours, but you know, lots of nice ceremonies. They have lots of very kind of um, lots of metaphors in the ceremony, which mainly seem to involve. Uh, tying the bride and groom together with a, some kind of rope or love that, love that. Scarf. Bring out the ceremonial ball and chain, lads. Come on, now. <laughs> it's, it's almost literally like that. And now <laughs> the father of the bride ties the groom to the bride, <laughs> and they walk around a fire four times. Um, so yeah, very beautiful ceremony compared to uh, I don't know a lot of that sort. Uh, English or Christian uh, ceremonies I've been to. It was, it was very good. And then yeah, we had a kind of big reception in the evening. Um, the only downside was it was in a very kind of fancy sort of stately hall out in the countryside. And we were staying at a hotel about three, four miles away, right. uh, which meant getting cabs in between the hotel and the, uh, the stately home back and forth, back and forth. And I tell you lads, I'm a, I'm a city boy. I, I, yeah. I do not leave London unless I'm absolutely forced to, to be honest. I do not like being anywhere that doesn't have, public transport and uber uh to be honest i've <laughs> taking a mini cab is not something i'm very familiar with ringing them up and saying have you got any cabs yeah oh you've got don't do that anymore don't do that anymore you've got nothing, uh, like, nothing until seven o'clock oh okay brilliant thanks uh, see you later it's a lost art these days ringing up a woman who uh, is operating out of the smallest office that you can legally yeah. sell with a fag in her mouth, uh, surrounded by uh, like Chinese takeaway brochures. Going, yeah, well, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. It's just a, a half hour, right? So yeah, that's that thing of the past, mate. I know it's just a little map on your phone mm. that says he's coming. You know, mm-hmm. 
So uh, yeah, and and uh, reassuringly expensive as well. So yeah, <laughs> twenty minute d- journey for thirty five quid. So uh, <laughs> uh, and you only find that out once you're in the cab. So that's good. That's great. That's a great bit. Great smashing. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and of course, in the middle, the old platinum jubilee, which uh, I'll be honest, we didn't really do anything for it because I didn't uh, all that, but. Um, I do enjoy seeing, like, the. on one hand, I enjoy seeing the country kind of come together to celebrate and having parties and, you know, weird shit on the telly and all that. Unfortunately, it's always in service of this uh, archaic kind of uh, elitist uh, imperialist institution, which I don't believe in. So it'd be nice <laughs> if we could have something like that, but without all of that, yeah. without the uh, royal nonces, you know, in the, on display, but... Uh, Maybe one day. Four day weekend, you know. Yeah. What, are, what are you going to do? Yeah, what, you know. When I when I get my republic, you know, we'll, we'll celebrate that, I guess. But yeah, other than that, it's been a quite an eventful couple of weeks. So you know, here we are. We're back. Yeah. We're back. We've been away. We've been doing things, and um, we're here to talk about uh, movies and wrestling. Movies and wrestling. Yeah, and uh, and what a, a, a great big a bunch of it we have this week. Oh my god, I'm looking at this list. Oh my god, so much. Oh my god. Uh, Paul, why don't you take us to the music guff to kick us off here? Yes, uh, listen, a lot of music this week. Um, not all new, but uh, two new ones and two old ones. I'll just mention as well, make that tick 12 minutes before my first theory breakdown of the podcast. <laughs> it's a new record. Um, so first of all, uh, ooh, Banging little album, folks. Uh, it's called Janky Star by Grace Ives. Janky Star. I don't know if you're hearing about Ooh. this one. Um, Not familiar. Did get a, Michelle might have heard about it because this did get a Pitchfork Best New Music Award, uh, which is why I listened to it. It's a um, it's a little little short, 20, 27 minute, I want to say. Mm-hmm. little short pop album. Okay. Uh, I think it's a sophomore album by this lady, Grace Ives. <laughs> And uh, ooh, it was bloody brilliant, mate. It's uh, I described it someone as it's uh, it's pop music made by someone looking to make art, not a quick book. It's it's a little bit more ooh. intellectual, a little bit yeah, uh, yeah. more experimental in its uh, songwriting, but it's still a pop album uh, at its core. Um, it's just a little bit less conventional, so don't go in expecting it to be uh, the new. Girls Aloud or whoever. I don't know who what's pop music these days. Dua Lipa. Girls Aloud. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more it's a little bit more on the uh the outskirts of that while retaining that that pop nucleus. It's just doing something a bit more interesting with the the tool set that a, a, a pop artist might have. Um I thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's gone near the top of my favorite albums of the year so far. And also, obviously, the 27 minutes doesn't hurt either. Uh, it's called Janky Star by Grace Ives. And I'll, I'll say if you enjoyed something like um, Beach House this year, Beach House put out a dub album that I quite liked, or last year, um, Wolf Alice. It's a little poppier than than even both of those, I would say, but uh, similar in ways. And also, the singer sounds a bit like the singer of the Cardigans, whose name I didn't bother to look up. <laughs> but um, no, I was really impressed. Um Kind of, it's one one to go in with an open mind about, and I think you'll really be pleasantly surprised if you give that one a try. Um, and then, secondly, new album by Magna Carta Cartel, which for those not in the know are a splinter 
branch of what used to be Ghost before the whole lawsuit and the whole band got replaced by faceless uh, studio uh, session musicians. Mm. Uh, So uh, MCC, as they're called, or Magna Magna Carta Cartel, which, Jesus, the amount of times it takes me to say that name sometimes is uh, unbelievable. I just want to look up the guy's name, who's the kind of the lead of it. It's um, Persner, I think is the second name. Martin Persner, it might be. He co-wrote a lot of the the ghost hits in the kind of infestissimo Meliora era, which Meliora, many would consider their best album, myself included. Um, and you can kind of hear the influence on this. What I'll say, though, is that Magna Carta Cartel, um, The Dying Option is the name of the album, by the way, is, um, is you have the kind of core uh, of what you might consider a typical ghost song without the flourishes that make it kind of to the next level. So what ultimately you end up getting is a ghost sounding, albeit muted and kind of bland record. Um, I think they probably worked so well in tandem with when Meliora came out in that the structure of the songs here is really strong. But like I said, I think Tobias, who's the now front man and kind of showrunner of Ghost, I think what he does well, even on this latest album that I was a bit wishy-washy about, I think he writes a great riff or a great lick. Mm. And I think that killer lick is what's missing from this album. It has it does everything else right, right, but doesn't have that catchiness to it, which is what makes Ghost more accessible as far as metal goes. So yeah, I, I, I was slightly disappointed. I think as well, Personer as a singer sounds too close to Ghost uh, or too close to Tobias Ford to the point that he can't really, it would be even harder for him to step out of the shadow because his singing voice sounds so much like Ghost's singing voice. Right. And so comparisons are kind of inevitable no matter what he, he does differently. Um, so yeah, I would I would describe it as a, a fairly bland, run-of-the-mill kind of Ghost-sounding album that never hits any of the highs of Ghost, but similarly isn't horrible. Okay. Uh, just kind of more more solid than, than listenable. Uh, finished my Beatles retrospective. Finally, I listened to oh, yeah. the, the last one. It's pretty good. If you if you watched the uh, eight hour documentary this year, you would have heard all of those songs ten times each. So I was already familiar with the album start to finish. I think it's a good one. I think they go out on a high. Some great tracks like the the eponymous "Let It Be." Um, but I will I will still say that Abbey Road Abbey Road is the best Beatles album. Now that I've now that I've come back and, and listened to them all, I can definitively say that that is the case. Um, so yeah, happy to be done with the Beatles. Haven't decided if I'm gonna try and do a similar thing with some other artists that I'm less familiar with. Maybe a I don't know, Earth, Wind, and Fire or someone. Because I, yeah. I really love Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But um, let it be. Definitely, definitely one of the better ones, especially when you consider the. The, the start and the middle of Beatles uh, discography is actually quite mundane. Definitely those latter albums stand out a bit better. And then finally, uh, as I was listening to Magna Carta Cartel, I noticed that some of the songs had a bit of a, uh, a pulsing uh, electro rhythm behind, like hidden underneath the metal surface. 
And uh, almost like what I would liken it to is like, you know, um, Kavinsky, for example, mm. maybe like Night Call. If you had that track with like guitars over the top, that's kind of what you're getting with, with Magna Carta Cartel. And I actually was listening, th- listening to it thinking, oh, this sounds a bit like uh, Jean-Michel Jarre. And then it is going to sound super fucking <laughs> down hole. But then I looked on the Spotify artist page and indeed they listed him as an influence. So I was like, oh, sometimes Ooh. I know what I'm talking about. So I did listen to uh, Jean-Michel Jarre's seminal 1970s uh, electro album, Oxygen, uh, which I'm sure if you, even if you're not familiar with Jean-Michel Jarre or Oxygen, you probably will have heard Oxygen 4, which is the one where it goes do, 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 do. Which everyone uh, should be familiar with if you've not heard before. So Oxygen is a very, very good album. Mad to think that it's nearly 50 years old now. Uh, but definitely a big, big inspiration for stuff that would come later on, like your your, your daft punks and the like, and yeah. kind of French electro scene. Uh, yeah, one that I, I have good nostalgia for as well, because it was one that I heard a lot during my childhood. So I'm quite a fan of Oxygen. I like some of his other records as well, Equinox and... Um, Stuff like that. But uh, yeah, some couple of good albums this week. Big recommendation, like I said, for Janky Star, Grace Ives. Uh, so do listen to that if you want to hear a good modern pop record. Uh, otherwise, you can kind of give the rest of them a miss. And that's all the music for this week. That is the music. We'll jump into Telly Guff here. Uh, one thing I did briefly want to make mention of, not really a television show, but I didn't know where to put it in. I did watch, I watched a stand-up special this week, which I feel like I haven't done in ages. I cannot remember the last time I actually sat down and watched uh, uh, a stand-up special. Um, but I, I did watch uh, uh, the uh, Stavros uh, Halkios, uh, I think it's pronouncing his extremely Greek <laughs> surname, uh, uh, special. Uh, you know, he, uh, he of a somewhat... Uh, notoriety from you know podcasting and just general uh, twitter presence um it's up for free on youtube which is part of what you know uh, encouraged me to to watch it i thought it was absolutely hilarious i it was one of those ones where i had to send it to like three or four separate people going you have to watch this you will love this it's so so funny i think you boys will probably enjoy it as well um very funny less than an hour um, f- fairly slickly produced for a thing that he basically just paid to shoot on his own and put up on YouTube. Mm. Uh, really, really, really great. Just really great, you know, uh, modern yet also fairly kind of like traditionally great stand-up. Um, yeah, so I would give that one a big recommendation. Uh, elsewhere in the more traditional televisual space, uh, we did catch up and finish season three of Barry, Bill Hader's Barry, uh, and it was great. I mean, I just did never really. It's just one of those shows. Just come on here every time we do a catch up mm. on it and just say it's great. No notes. It's fantastic. Um, and Hader himself, I mean, is probably like the most like interesting like director working today. He, like he's directing more and more as the show goes on as well. I think he directed like more than half the episodes in this season. But they're so interesting and they're so well done. It's like if you just if you want a show that's just kind of like 
really it's got it's very well written it's got a lot of intrigue it's got a lot of great dark humor but just like visually there's so much so many episodes where they're just like we're just gonna just have this very cool concept scene or 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 we're just gonna do something a bit more off the wall it's really it, it it's it's just really well made and and it, it's 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 compelling and I just I love it and I can't wait for season four if I'm not, I don't even think they've if they've confirmed one but I I, I hope they have because um, uh, it is it is just one of the most underrated shows uh, on TV so uh, yeah I know I know nothing uh, about that show apart from Bill Hader isn't it like I, I literally if I had to guess what it was about I couldn't show you a single thing there's a man in it played by Bill Hader yeah, yeah that's my it. knowledge. It, it is, and it's it's a little bit of a um, a genre bender. I I guess I would call it like a dark comedy slash crime show. Mm-hmm. I was had was a conversation um uh in a in a, in a Discord channel. Someone I was talking about, it and someone else was talking about it, and someone who had only heard of it asked, "Well, is it like a procedural crime thing?" Because mm-hmm. I don't really want it. It's like, well, it's not procedural, and it's kind of a crime thing, but not really. It's not really a cops and robbers thing. But it has elements of that. It's like very funny in places, but it's not a sitcom. It is. It's really weird and cool, and it's it's just so unique. And it's like just really tight half hour episodes. Gets in, gets out. Um, I think you, I Joe. I think you'll love it. I think you'll love it. I think it's it'll be right up your alley. Uh, and Hader's great, Nick. Great performance. And like I said, his, his the highlights of the show are his, his, the episodes he directs. Um, but you know, great cast. Henry Winkler among other people in there. Mm. Yeah, I see Stephen Root here, who's always good value. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's great in it. He's great in it. Um, yeah, no, top notch cast. Get on that. Uh, I don't know where it's on over here. It's on again, off again. On now. Obviously, if you're in the states, it's on HBO Max. Um, but yeah, get get that in you if you've not yet watched. It's one of those ones as well because it's only like uh, six or seven episodes a season. They just finished their third season, half hour episodes. You just rip through it in a in a week if you were to start it now. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the TV for me this week. Still haven't finished. Um, haven't finished the. Um, we're rewatching the boys before getting to the new stuff. We haven't finished season two yet, uh, but I'm really anxious to get back to uh, to get caught up on the new stuff because I've heard good things. Hmm. Um, yeah, still haven't watched any of Obi Wan Kenobi, and I haven't watched any of Miss Marvel. I think I'm just out of the habit of that stuff now. It's just yeah. like with Obi Wan, just imagine what you think it is, and you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you've basically got it like yeah. It's what you think it is. <laughs> There's no surprises in it so far, anyway. Not that it's bad. You and McGregor's pretty good, but yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, but once you break the chain, you feel like oh, freed. Yeah, I don't have to watch all those now. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. What about you, boys? What have you been watching this week? Oh, excuse me. What have I been watching? Um, we watched a documentary on Netflix uh, called White Hot which tells the story of the fashion brand uh, Abercrombie & Fitch, um, which I don't know how much you guys remember that one or even kind of know about it. I don't think it was as kind of big in Europe, but it was more of an American brand. Mm. It was the kind of hot brand, like in that millennial... The hot ninety nine, Yeah, 98 to 2002 kind of era. Um, it was like, yeah, the, all, all the shops had like men with no shirts on and six-packs walking around like that that was the their whole gimmick was all of the retail assistants were like incredibly hot and all looked like models and stuff 
Um, and it had this real kind of resurgence in the in the late nineties. Um, I never, I did see some of these. Remember seeing some of these shops around London. Never, ever, ever went into one because I assumed it was absolutely not. <laughs> and the, the other thing was they had, I think, like the windows were kind of darkened, so you couldn't actually see what was going on in the store. And I'm always terrified of that. Like I want to, be able yeah. to look through the window and see exactly what's happening because I do not want to walk yeah. in and, and get any surprises. They could they could be selling American candy in there for all you. Yeah, know. <laughs> exactly. So um, yeah, really interesting documentary. And it captures that kind of time period so uh, really really well. Uh, and it goes on to talk about how the company, uh, in many ways, was quite yeah, surprise surprise you elitist and and kind of racist portrayed this you know mm. perfect perfectual kind of white male you know all american blonde hair kind of uh, stereotype um and was yeah uh kind of oppressing the sort of other people they didn't want there so yeah really interesting documentary um so i'd recommend that uh, and then we not do the sexy uh shop boys anymore i i think they've toned it down a bit i don't think they oh uh, well i'm not going there don't bother don't, bother. don't, don't send a cd in paul there's no point um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think they go. I think they're a bit more. They're in. They're into the whole inclusion and uh, you know being a bit trying to be a bit woke now. Like all brands are, you know, uh, perfect time for me to apply. So it sounds like, yeah. Oh no, we really, like we really like uh, black people. Oh no, we're not racist anymore now that there's money to be made. <laughs> um, and yeah, finished also a couple of a couple of shows we've been watching for a while. So this is us. Uh, the, the drama we've been watching for a good several months now that's come to an end they had the series finale um, quite a satisfying ending I thought they, they pulled it off very well probably one of the more satisfying endings I've seen uh, in a while it did the beginning of the final when was the penultimate series when they, they were in the pandemic they really started to jump the shark and there were some very mm. very strange episodes but to be honest and I'm not seeing this too many times they did kind of pull it back they did okay. manage to pull the pull the nose of the plane up and uh, kind of get get to a safe landing. So I'd say overall, this is us very, very kind of satisfying from beginning to end as a, as a series. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and then we also finished rewatching sex and the city, um, which again is a show that I kind of remembered it getting really bad towards the end. Um, yeah. once it got into like season six or seven, but it wasn't actually that bad on, on rewatch. I think it held up pretty well to the end. It wasn't, you know, classic all the way through but it didn't it never got into like simpsons season right. season 11 territory you know it, it kind of stayed pretty true to itself so yeah so now we've got nothing to watch like we're scrabbling around to find something to watch so maybe barry will be the the next one yeah i i, I that'd be a good i think that'd be good. i think michelle would like it as well i think it's just it's just it's just a very well made show like it'll grip you on a kind of visceral kind of character basis but it's also one of those which go oh that's mm. so cool oh the way they did that oh so you know it's it's one of them i think you'll take that you're not gonna watch that new uh, that new sex in the city thing oh just like that um yeah michelle watched it and didn't i don't think she was very impressed i watched one episode and it was it was poor it was like yeah yeah and i like i do like the original series i mean i wasn't a huge fan but i thought it was a really good show just the writing and the characters and everything it's oh god so they forget how to do it you know, they bring, you bring back a show after so long, and everyone's just forgotten like how to write it, what the characters are supposed to do. It's yeah, yeah it's not got that same kind of pizzazz about it. So, yeah, that's the uh, that's the telly golf for the week. What about the movie films? You both have both seen the Top Gun, I believe. 
Yes. So that I have not. So talk me through it. Um, Barry, do you like cinema? I'm. I have been known to enjoy it. I have been known to enjoy it. Mr. Tom Cruise has basically brought back cinema. That's what. Okay, I was hoping someone would. Yeah, finally, finally. Um, it's nice to watch a film a bit like a big, obviously there's lots of great indie films out and we talk about them every week and we'll, we'll talk about a few this week. There's always great, like small independent films that come out at the local, you know, art house cinema and stuff. That's always happening. But on the blockbuster front, it's nice to watch a film that has like real people in it and kind of real locations and an actual screenplay instead of, you know, space orcs and, (laughs) <laughs> fucking wizards and rhinos or whatever you know and ha- half the film was like rendered before they got a director yeah and you have to have seen the tv show for it to make any sense you know it's none of that yeah. it's just like a proper film and i think the reason people are liking it so much is because they just you kind of forgotten what it's like to go to the movies and see like just a big standalone I mean, it is a sequel but essentially it's like a standalone film that's just like with people who are you know kind of in their 50, you know, characters in their 50s, you know, they're not all young characters. It's just like, yeah, good kind of drama. I wasn't like a huge fan of the original Top Gun. I thought it was quite, it's an okay, pretty good movie, you know, very easy mm. in 80s and, and yeah, it was decent. But this this was, I think, kind of crafted a lot better than that one. Uh, Tom Cruise is, is really good in it. Um, playing kind of Tom Cruise in a sense, like he's not, he's not kind of deviating too much from his own personality. You would imagine. Um, the funny thing about it is that my one criticism of it is that he's, he's 60 now, Tom Cruise in this movie, he doesn't look a day over 40, right? right. They, they went crazy with the de-aging CGI. And <laughs> he, he, he literally looks 40. You would not think he looks 60 at all. And I kind of think it plays against the character a little bit because he's kind of this like, a mentor figure. And if you had a little bit of gray in the temples, you know, and a little right. bit of a few lines, it would get almost add something to the character rather than make him look old. And he, and you know, I think he can pull off both. So that was a bit disappointing. But other than that, the actions like amazing. There's the stories there, you know, it takes you through all the kind of emotional beats you want to, you want to go through in that kind of story. And yeah, great kind of cameos and appearances and yeah. So they're all really, really, really fun. What did you make of it, Paul? Oh, the same. Yeah. I thought it was very entertaining. It was nice to uh, have a film with backgrounds, mm-hmm. yeah. locations, and planes to go real fast. Um, it's funny you mentioned as well Tom Cruise and his uh, eternal youth because I was shocked. There's actually two or three points in the film where they're like, old man. I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm amazed Tom Cruise uh, allowed those lines to make the final cut. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the closest you get to, like, him being visibly older is when they have the the redo of the famous volleyball scene. Mm. And you have all the all the young hunks with their washboard abs. Quite little titties. Yeah, big UC <laughs> titties out. Um, and Tom Cruise has got the 2002 Ric Flair body. <laughs> oh, that's unfair on Tom Cruise. He's in good shape. He's in good shape. He, I know what you mean. Like it's not. He's not got the fake kind of steroid looking physique. It's it is that like yeah, yeah. old man who works. It's out. a bit stretched. Yeah, yeah I mean he's no Melter. Like, he's, no, no. Who is? Um, there is a bit. You know, don't worry. There is a bit where Tom Cruise runs really fast, so you know how young he is. Um, I was a little bit 
um, put out that they didn't ask Kelly McGillis to come back, mm. who's the love interest from the first movie. Obviously, because she's she just looks like a conventional sixty something yeah. year old woman now, and they're like, "Well, Hollywood can't be having that. We need to get the, yeah, the sexier model in." Which which just comes off super like as much of the film is is really the way cinema should be. That's the one kind of hang up for me. Mm. That's like of a era bygone where she wasn't even asked for like she could have very easily come in and played the John Hamm role, for example. Mm. Um as a nod to the original, but they just fucking didn't, didn't ask her back because she she doesn't look like the kind of person that is in a film these days in a in a big Hollywood mm. blockbuster, um, and certainly not as Tom Cruise's love interest like she was in the first movie. Ooh, Tom Cruise can't be having that. No, get Jennifer, get Jennifer Connelly in. Yes, please. Um, but otherwise, I thought it was I thought it was very very good. Uh, the action is obviously top notch. Mm. Uh, fans of Mission Impossible Fallout should be very pleased with it. <clears throat> I will say as well, um, I would have enjoyed, I want to say, two or three or, or ten more uses of the Danger Zone song. <laughs> Not enough of that. Because <laughs> uh, if, if anyone's watched the first Top Gear recently... Tony Scott was like, we're not even using a score. We're just going to use these two songs over and over again. <laughs> it's the perfect song. So you do get, have another one. Is there the first song? So you do get like the opening of the film is very reminiscent of the opening yeah. of the first Top Gear. It's basically a shot for shot remake. Um, but then the rest of the film, you know, because going in, I was like, I, okay, what I would do if I were faceless director who made this movie uh, <laughs> <laughs> under the watchful eye of Tom Cruise um, who is the real director I would have you don't get any danger zone right at okay. all for the whole movie you're thinking they're not going to do danger zone and then as they finally go out for the last big action scene Tom Cruise says you're coming with me to the, and you hear the little straight wait a minute is this the strings is this danger zone sound? and then uh, the plane the plane is going to take off and oh, danger zone starts playing, and then everyone in the cinema is punching the air um, instead, what they do is they just give you the angels on right at the beginning and then never again for the rest of the film. So, Boo. Boo. They should have done it like Batman where they play that fucking Nirvana song 17 Constantly. times during exactly. the film. Oh, man. Too cheap to license the second Happy song. Version of that. Happy version of that. Um, but no, it was it was very, very good. Um, And as far as modern blockbusters go, it might be the the last great one until we get the next mission possible <laughs> because I was, I had the option, uh, the choice because I know, I know there's, there's a lot of blockbusters out now at the moment, Joe, you see top gun, mm-hmm. you could see Dr. Strange two, you could see Jurassic, uh, world dominion, dominion. And so it's nice to have, um, it's nice to have a big blockbuster yeah. that you don't feel like I have to endure it. Mm. And actually that, that was then the case for me. So I did take a trip to the cinema, and I I was posed with that very that very choice: will I go see Doctor Strange two, or will I go see Jurassic World Dominion? Mm. Oh Jesus Christ! Sophie's choice, if ever there was one. I'd, I had one look at the the film lengths, and Jurassic Park was immediately eliminated. That film's two and a half hours long. What? Oh my God! Yep. How could it possibly be that long? I don't know. I was and I was saying to, to people, I was saying Jurassic Park six, which is what this is, should by all accounts be a ninety minute straight to DVD or straight to see streaming 
right deal. Mm-hmm. That's how these films used to be. Jaws six, whatever. Um, Jurassic World Dominion. Let me just get you the exact uh, two hours twenty seven. Jesus Christ. And Doctor Strange was like two hours five or something. So I was like, right, we're going to see Doctor Strange. And I don't know if you know this about Doctor Strange, guys. But Princess Diana was such a free spirit. (laughs) What? Oh, wait, I'm I'm doing my wrong one. Sorry. It was um, for better or worse. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You got your bits mixed up. For, I was like, did I miss a scene in that movie? <laughs> For better or worse, it's a Sam Raimi movie. Oh. Um, which I then, unironically, I don't know why I do this, but sometimes just out of um, like masochism, uh, I'll go and watch some kind of funny videos. Remember kind of funny? Oh, God. And uh, totally unironically started their little Doc Strange. Tim Getty's big face pops up and goes, for better or worse, it's a Sam Raimi movie. I was like, oh no, you're turning the line. It's kind of like it's kind of like when when you you see have an original re- thought for fuck's sake. It's like when you see wrestling people's takes on movies and films. It's the same with them. It's just kind of like when they talk about anything that's not like a PlayStation game, they they just uh, have no good takes. No. Anyway, let me give you my take on Doctor Strange two. Go on. Um. <laughs> I like the Sam Raimi bits, and I didn't like any of the rest of it. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that's a, that. Yeah, that's that's. If it wasn't obvious enough, that's the type of film that was being referenced constantly during the Top Gun conversation. <laughs> and weirdly, because Sam Raimi is the Spider-Man guy, the film that reminded me the most of was um, Civil War. In that, there is a movie that is obviously the Marvel template, and then they're like, "Oh, we need to shoehorn in fucking Spider-Man somewhere right. in this movie." That's what it felt like here. It felt like it was your boilerplate Marvel mumbo jumbo where there's another MacGuffin, this book, which is stronger than the book from the last one. Don't worry about that book anymore. This is the new book you got to worry about. Um, And all that nonsense. And then every now and then you get like a Sam Raimi, like Dutch angle and (laughs) zombies and shit. But like this, the Sam Raimi stuff, the, the parts of the movie that are obviously Sam Raimi's vision. Is maybe like a total thirty minutes of what's like a two yeah. two hour, ten minute movie. Um, the rest of it is absolutely bog standard, wizard hands thing, <laughs> um, you know, nonsense. Um, and while some might say that, well, the Sam Raimi stuff kind of elevates the rest of the movie, I actually thought that it just kind of clashed really mm. badly. It, it didn't right. feel like. A cohesive film. Mm. It felt like a, a badly edited fan edit of like two different films. Um. So yeah, while there's stuff in there that's enjoyable, uh, overall it's it's a bit of a mess to be honest. And uh, as soon as that uh, those credits hit, I was out of there, baby. Not staying around for Blorco to appear. Oh, uh, you missed you missed such a Blorco scene. You really did. The oh most hundred percent Blorco. I think I was the only one in the cinema who immediately left. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope, bye. <laughs> it's funny, though, because it's like every every time one of these movies comes out, I see like a TikTok or a video on Twitter of people like leaving the cinema as soon as the credits hit. And the caption is always, 
I guess you're not a real Marvel fan. It's like, yeah, no, I'm a normal person. <laughs> I have to beat traffic out of here. Um, and well, I that's the thing. It it used to be legitimately you would stay and see, oh, what's what's the next thing? But that's become so ubiquitous now that it's just like I'll just if I'm interested, I'll just look it up when I go home. Yeah, which I wasn't, and I, I didn't, so I don't. But um, yeah, it was it was fairly uh, fairly mediocre. Um, watched a few good movies though to to make up for that. Uh, I watched the Unstoppable Train, okay, which is, is is just called Unstoppable. Actually, it's with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine. Okay, uh, so this was off the back of Top Gun, Top Gun, which was one of the first Tony Scott films, and Unstoppable, which was the last Tony Scott film he made before he uh, passed away. And it tells the real life story of a runaway train that wouldn't just wouldn't stop. That is unstoppable, one might say. It was unstoppable. Um, so it's it's the real life story, but with all the names and that changed, and some of the details changed for uh, in the name of drama. Um, but it was basically there was you know a guy was moving a train at a train station, and he noticed the little signal thing where it moves the tracks wasn't set right and he, he he put it into like a little really slow gear put the automatic brake on whatever jumped out to change it oh but the thing slipped and it started accelerating and oh, it's going at full speed and there's no one on it to stop it and uh denzel washington plays like this the the, the grizzled old train yard vet chris pine is the uh the uh the guy who hops from job to job who just picked this for something different to do and uh, they 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 are charged eventually with uh, stopping the unstoppable train. And again, like like Maverick, it was really nice to watch a a modern because this is twenty ten. This film came out a modern uh, action movie where you are watching a real, for all intents and purposes, train <laughs> flying along, and it feels very um, tangible, very tactile, and and very exciting. Um, performances were good across the board, but uh, certainly some some really exciting train action. And uh, <laughs> I think trains trains, if anything, get underused in action. To be honest, everyone is yeah. wowed by planes and space orc majiggies. Uh, what about the humble train? The train that won't stop. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. I feel like they. I feel like in the nineties, they were all about trains and and racing to get onto a train and having a shootout on a train. And uh, video yeah. games are still kind of about trains. But yeah, where's 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 the trains? Where's, just, where's the train love? Everyone's just shooting bloody lasers out of their hands now. Yeah. Uh, you know, and all that. I will say, Unstoppable has a cast of every single. Um, What's how do you describe them? Like uh, shifty scumbag character actors. <laughs> um, like it has. You, what's your man uh, from the Chaperone, who's in the Triple H movie with him, oh, Kevin? That guy. What's his name? Yeah. Um, oh, I know that guy. He's in loads of stuff. He's in loads of. He's in this, and oh, like the ten actors who are Kevin Corrigan, the ten actors who are him are also in this movie. So you have your man from. Uh, my name is Earl Ethan Souplay, the lad who got real buff. Um, it has lots of actors of that ilk, as uh, and then it has obviously Chris Pine, Denzel, and Rosario Dawson is in it as well. But yeah, very very good. Uh, watch Goodfellas, which also stars Kevin Corrigan in, mm. in a very small role. 
you'll be shocked, lads, here that Goodfellas is extremely good. Yes, I've um, heard this. Yeah. Uh, gave it the full 10 on the letterboxed. Um, nice. I think it's a perfect compliment to The Godfather in the sense that Godfather is very, very classy, mm. very, um, you know, reverential mobster movie. Super well done. Whereas Goodfellas is just fucking, the, is like the, the, the crowd pleaser mob film. All the characters are larger than life. They're all fucking screaming all the time. Ray Liotta with the most aggressive laugh in the world. Um, yeah, I like Joe Pesci. I like to think it's kind of like the the modern mafia. You know what I mean? Whereas Godfather was like the sure. old fashioned Italian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've listened to violins, yeah. and and then it's like the American Italian American mafia, and it's like, yes, fuck yes, you, yes, fuck yes. you, get me a fucking drink, you fucking yeah. cocksucker, you. Motherfucking mutt. Yeah, and that's when it will go get your fucking goes from prestige to just fucking anarchy. That's what, yeah. Yes. Um absolutely excellent film. Mm. Um Rayliot is great and Pesci is obviously the star of the show. Uh De Niro, if anything, slightly understated performance, which I mm. actually I appreciate, mm. but like so many of the personalities around them are so fucking over the top that it makes him in, in comparison seem very like almost fading into the background. Um, but it's it's brilliant. It's super well directed. I love the scene where he gets a call from the, the, the wife and drives home. And you just get like the, the, the panning shot as he walks across the road to pistol whip your man. What the fuck do you want? Ah, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. Trends. Uh, so love Goodfellas. Love, love, love it. Uh, watch Gladiator for the first time. I've never gentlemen. seen the Gladiator. Watch Gladiator for the first time. Um, now what I'll say is Gladiator is obviously one of those milestone movies, one of those tentpole movies that kind of reinvigorated a, a, a long past genre, the kind of sa- sand and sandals epic, right? And to an extent, stuff like Lord of the Rings that would come later, the kind of wartime epic as well. Um, I don't know that on you know, watching it with 2022 eyes for the first time that it holds up super well, even keeping in mind that a lot of the stuff that we take for granted in movies now originated in it. The example I use as a counterpoint would be like something like aliens, which does the same thing for the, the space Marine action genre. Right. I think aliens nevertheless still holds up as a really good movie without feeling like, a a run through of tropes and so on. Whereas gladiator in that uh, aspect and no fault of gladiators own, because as I said, gladiator originated a lot of this, I'm sure. So maybe it's not a fair criticism, but gladiator, I feel like just had less to offer me that I haven't seen done already elsewhere. Um, So maybe it's just a case that you kind of had to be there at the time and watch it before you watch all these other movies. But certainly in the first hour, I found that a little bit dull, once he um, meets the other kind of warriors, I think it picks up a bit. And certainly, once they get into the you know into the Colosseum and so on, it, mm. it's great from there on. Um, but just overall, I, I I certainly wouldn't have it ten out of ten. Oh my god, you know, best Ridley Scott movie. I don't think it's anywhere near that. I'd give it like a strong seven, maybe. You know, um, like I said, the first hour I just think is a bit too slow. Um, and the the way the action do, is done in that first hour, it's it's very like it's like a war movie, like a, a Troy and, and stuff that kind of followed it. 
but it just feels very old and feels very of its time. I don't think it holds up particularly well. Uh, it's really only the, the rest of the movie that does. And it's a long movie as well. So this, you got the old Jurassic World two and a half hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, performances are very good. I think I think my favorite performance in it was Oliver Reed, who uh, died during production and is a CGI oh. man for some of it. And there is one scene in particular where he's uh, lit completely different to the person he's having a conversation with. And it's really egregious and, and stands out. But, um, you know... Uh, Crow is great. Um, Phoenix is great. I, 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 I'm not sure that it's my favorite Phoenix performance. I think he's he's doing the little uh, weedy British accent, which mm-hmm. always irks me when uh, American actors do. I don't think they ever quite nail it. But uh, generally, he's good. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't wowed like I kind of expected I was going to be. And then I have some little movies I watch. I watch a Serious Man, which is a uh, the the Coen Brothers, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg Jewish epic. Uh, it's really really good. Uh, Stuhlbarg when he showed up at the beginning of Doctor Strange, I got very excited. <laughs> and then he wasn't in the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, was he in the first movie? Even I, I don't I didn't understand why he was there at the beginning. Yeah. He, was he the villain in the first one? No. Yeah, no, I don't think he's the main villain was Mads Mikkelsen, but he was uh, I can't remember what is what is I I, I, that was but, a very forgettable movie. Yes, um, but he's he's fantastic in it. It's it's the Coen Brothers taking their kind of Jewish roots and putting it on, on screen. There's some great little um, themes that play about the futility of life and how um, just as you think things are are. are turning good they turn bad and just as you think you think things are bad they get even worse but it's like it, even with those themes it, it's a very funny you know easy easy enough movie to watch great performances across the board um so if you haven't seen it if it's one of your um, uh holes in your coen brothers uh watching uh what do you call it? Fil- filmography uh do give it a watch it's very very good and then finally evil under the sun which is the third adaptation after uh, Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile of the uh, the Agatha Christie Poirot. Well, this is the these. I'm talking about the original. Ones, oh, sorry, not, sorry. Yeah, not, I haven't watched the twenty whatever it is Death on the Nile. I'm talking about the 1970s and 1980s ones. Um, doesn't have a, a blowaway cast like the first two does. It does have a Dame Maggie Smith in it though, and it's Peter Ustinov as Poirot again. But uh, I was actually. Very impressed. I really, really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I think, a better payoff than you get in certainly Death on the Nile, maybe even Orient Express. What I like about these stories as well is that they each have a, a cool, unique location. So, obviously, Orient Express was the the train. We talked mm-hmm. about train love earlier. Uh, Death on the Nile is in the uh, the big steamboat right. gimmick, and then this one is in a, a hotel on an exclusive island. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I have it on Blu-ray. I don't have the hand, but uh, I finally gave it a spin just the other day, and I found it really charming and campy and fun. Hmm. So I give it a not a great movie by any means, but a, a very easy watch and a very fun watch. And that's all the movies I watched this week. Yeah, I'd like to see some more of those Poirots because I did enjoy the first two. Um, it's a shame Poirot didn't live long enough to do one set on a plane. And they could have 
Like, mm. like Money Plane, perhaps, with a Kelsey yeah. Grammar. Yeah. <laughs> would have helped. Uh, yeah. I've got, I've got a few movies I can rattle through. Um, watched Hustle, the new uh, Adam Sandler movie on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Mm. How is that? It was very good. It's basically uh, Rocky, but with basketball. Uh, so Adam Sandler plays a basketball scout who goes to Europe to try and find kind of, you know, uh, Hidden Gems, you might say. Um, oh. That's not the name of the other movie, so it doesn't really work. Uh, you, get, you get the idea. Um, yeah, he goes there to kind of un- uncover hidden gems and he finds this Spanish basketball player who's very talented and he then takes him to the US and tries to get him into a team. So it's good. It's, it's one of those like good Sandler movies where he's not playing his own uh, grandmother and shitting himself. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I would put it up there with like a not quite as good as like an uncut gems because I think that had a lot more sort of you know style and sort of um, real kind of innovation to it. But yeah, kind of up there, definitely, definitely one of his better movies. Very fun. Um, yeah, a good, a good time was had watching that one. So I'd rec- recommend checking that out. Um, we also watched uh, at the cinema. We went to see a little. Um, little movie that we've been referring to as the French abortion movie. Cause I didn't know what it was called. So I just kept calling it that it's actually called <laughs> happening. Um, but it is a French movie and it is about abortion. Um, okay. the M night Shyamalan remake. Is it? It's, I think it's in that kind of same universe. Um, <laughs> I, I won't give too many spoilers, but it's basically about a woman who gets into a position where she's having abortion. Um, and it's, it's shot in a really, really kind of interesting way because it feels a lot more like a, almost a horror movie in a way because she's kind of trapped in this scenario uh, and everywhere she turns, she seems to kind of be unable to find help. And um, so it's got a real kind of th- thriller element to it, thriller horror. So I thought that was a really kind of interesting take on it. Um, so, yeah, if you see that, it won't be in cinemas because, to be honest, we struggled to, to find it. Um, like in London, there was one day. I think they actually put it back on because they were doing like an abortion um, charity fundraiser um, right. after the whole you know Wade versus, Wade versus Roe thing and, and whatever happened in America. They did a few charity screenings. So that was the only way we got to see it at the cinema. But yeah, when it eventually makes its way to streaming, that's uh, definitely one worth checking out uh, happening. Uh, very good. Uh, we also watched uh, Pride, which is... Uh, movie's been out, came out quite a while ago now. It's about the miners, the 1984 miners' strike yeah. in the UK, and a bunch of I was gonna say a bunch of gays, that sounds very different. So I mean. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of gay people, like oh, yeah, that's better, um, who decide they want to help the miners, and so they go to Wales and try and raise money. Obviously, the miners are like, Oh, look, look, boy, oh, you're gay, aren't you? Oh, we're not sure about all that. Um, <laughs> so they're reluctant at first, but then they start to accept them. Yeah, it's it's kind of in that vein of like um, the British underdog movie of like the Full Monty and yeah. Calendar Girls and Slumdog Millionaire and, and all these kind of movies where it's like, and yeah, a, ba- a, a band of underdogs kind of get together to fight against the establishment or the you know, whatever. Um, I would say this is probably one of the the weaker ones of that type. Like it was watchable. A lot of good actors in it. Bill Nighy's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Imelda Staunton's in it. Um, Paddy Constantine's in it. Um, your man there from Sherlock. Uh, the, the, Andrew, the, Scott. Andrew Scott. Yeah. Um, a lot of good actors in it. It doesn't really like, I, 
the script just never really kind of reaches the heights of a lot of those other movies. Um, but yeah, worth, worth a kind of watch. It was it was sort of entertaining and a little bit, a little bit heartwarming. Um, so it was good. And then finally, we watched having finished uh, Sex and the City, the TV series. We watched Sex and the City, the movie, um, which we actually rented on YouTube for mm. two pound forty nine. If you can believe it, All right. what a bargain! Um, so I would say both as as praise and criticism of the movie, it felt like an episode of the TV show. Right. So it was consistent in the kind of tone and the, the chemistry and everything. But in terms of the stakes, it did just feel like a long episode of, of the show. Like it wasn't, I mean, I don't know what I expected. Like, I don't know. They're all on a plane trying to stop the president from, get, from getting blown up or something. Like obviously that's not what it was going to be about. It's about a wedding, but yeah, it, it does. It doesn't quite throw off those shackles of, of the, yeah, you know, being a TV TV show, but it was it was entertaining yeah. and good nonetheless. Um, I'm not sure if I watched the second one because that is apparently one of the worst you know, films ever made. Yeah, but I've heard nothing but dreadful things about that. We might watch that one, but I'd say for, as, as TV as movie ad, uh, versions of TV shows go, it's decent. Hmm. And that's all the movies. Well, me already. Uh, I watched a few movies this week. One that was previously discussed. On this podcast already, I did watch that Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers movie. Dale, and it was great. I mean, it was really fantastic. It really was. It was the the best comparison. I do think is the Lego Movie. You know, to the degree to which it overachieves way beyond what you're expecting. Like the first half hour, especially, it was it was just kind of like joke, 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 joke. Do you know what I mean? They were they were knocking them out of the park at an incredible pace. Uh, tons of visual gags, and you could tell that this was just a real, uh, a real exercise in in comedy writing, and it was just great. I think the I think the animation all looked really good. I mean, I just don't know why that Roger Rabbit style of of animation went out of vogue. Even that Tom and Jerry movie last year, which was fucking dreadful, had it, and I think was elevated by it somewhat because I think it just looks so nice. The characters look clean. Um, uh, you don't get that uncanny valley thing going on. You, I think it all looks great. Uh, and in this particular movie, they're they're melding styles. They've got stop motion characters walking around the same scene as animated characters and CG. It all just looks great and so well written. Um, it, it's meta in a way that's not cringe, which is becoming increasingly hard. I was reminded, like I was like, this is like. This is like this takes the biggest shit on like Free Guy, and or, or any movie like mm, that, yeah. uh, which are just like just doing the references, just doing the references, just saying, look, here's Captain America's shield. Oh, I have a lightsaber now. It's just you know doing that on such a shallow level. Uh, Chip and Dale, so so great. And I'd love, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for like the making of this movie. Some of the negotiations and the phone calls that must have been going on to get like, to be able to get like the Shrek license to do a gag for 30 seconds in this film, a throwaway gag using a character from another uh, uh, um, corporate entity, you know, um, just really fascinating. Um, but yeah. Uh, two thumbs up there for Chip and Dale. That, that is that was a nice fun. kind of surprising element as well. Like I was not expecting them to have the other IPs in there, and no. they got they got like all everything. <laughs> everything was kind. Of, I mean, I know Disney owns you know, fucking eighty percent of the animated you know properties now. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was a nice surprise for me. 
they yeah they they got some good pulls in there to so that it, so that it, and that was another thing as well. So that but by having outside stuff, it meant it didn't feel like another fucking IP flexing exercise. Yeah, anymore. it kind of was that to an extent. Yeah, you know, less felt a little bit less cynical. Um, then I had two trips to the cinema this week. I saw Men, the new A twenty four horror movie, direct, written and directed by Alex Garland. He of Ex Machina and uh, Annihilation fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised. I went in relatively cold. They did those very, very basic trailers where they really didn't show any of the film at all mm. uh, in the run-up to release. I didn't really know much of anything about it, and I was kind of avoiding reviews and stuff. When I came out, I was actually kind of surprised to see it, it's not been reviewed terribly well. Um, I think it has like a 2.9 on Letterboxd or something like that, which I think is very harsh. I I enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was very well made. I can completely understand how people would not enjoy it. I think it's it's like maybe more on the nose than like Mother. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like another film, everyone, not everyone hated. It was very divisive, but some people were just like, you just, you get it. You get it within 10 minutes of the film starting and then it goes and goes and goes for 90 minutes. Um, this is another one of them. If that is any kind of bugbear for you with the film, this is probably one to just give a miss because it 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 has its it, it makes its point and then it goes. And it's not that long, thankfully, but then it goes for another hour twenty or whatever it is. So that that's worth keeping in mind. Um, uh, it's got a lot of visual metaphors that are not especially subtle. Which again, if that's a a, a grievance for you, fair enough. But I, I thought it was all relatively well done. Just the the, the kind of core horror film craftsmanship. I think it's quite tense. I think it looks really nice. Uh, I think the two central performances are fantastic. There's a kind of a gimmick to the the casting that I don't really want to get into. I'd rather people just kind of see it for mm. themselves. That I think it's quite well done. Um, and I don't know. I, I really liked it. There was one thing. This this brings back an old CSP trope. Um, uh, the, the old uh, Paul Griffin. I loved it right up until the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Um, there is a thing and because it is the literal end of the film I can't really get very specific on it there is a the ending of it it kind of it's very creepy and odd and weird and there's a lot of there's a lot of unspoken things in the film there's weird stuff happening that they might as well just look directly into the camera and say this is for you to interpret right (laughs) uh they're kind of subtle and then the last 20 minutes the film goes like mental right it's like it's you know it's 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 in the vein of almost like a hereditary or something like that where it's like okay now, now everything has to go fucking mental for the last half hour and i think it's mostly very good there's a visual metaphor and again i really can't say anything too specific so i would like people to see it and weigh in and the the, the character involved in the visual metaphor almost literally says this is a metaphor for blank uh and it's unbelievable like like this would have been like like this would have been like eye rolly for like a uh uh this is like an a24 movie where you're kind of expecting them like they're going to do some weirdness they're not going to explain everything because they just don't bother i couldn't believe but by the standards of any movie again i can't i can't get it but it's like the last fucking line in the film if anyone watches it 
you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it because it's mm. right at the end. I couldn't believe it. It was like I almost wanted to like knock a half star off the rating just for that. But <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, Men was pretty good, pretty divisive. I I can kind of understand why people don't like it. I thought it was it was very well done. Uh, also very well done was uh, on Colleen Kuhn, which is Gwailga for the Quiet Girl. This is a uh, an indie film from Ireland. It's an Irish language film. I think I saw some ridiculous statistic, like it's only like the fourteenth film ever to be feature film to be released in the Irish language, which I which I thought was crazy. Uh, it's, it's it's something of a record breaking film. It's like made the most money out of any uh, uh, I think Irish film, um, uh, or well, certainly it's made the most out of any of that limited amount of Irish language films, and it's one of the most successful uh, indie Irish films uh, uh, ever. Uh, uh, and it's, I mean, it's fantastic. It's about basically, it's set in kind of, it's kind of a, a bit nebulous, kind of early 80s-ish uh, rural Ireland. This extremely quiet young girl, she's the middle child in a family. Uh, they're, they're less than, working class is probably too, too not, not even an appropriate, they're very kind of like working poor kind of uh, uh, farm tending Irish family. She's sent off to be with her mother's cousins for a summer while uh, uh, her family tries to, uh, her mother's getting ready to give birth to a baby and they're running out of money, so they literally kind of send her off for summer to go live with family. Uh, and it's basically about the relationship she fosters with these these effectively new parents, quote-unquote, uh, for the summer. It is so great. I mean, it is so, so fantastic. I would encourage people. It's only in, like, I think 30 cinemas in the UK, so it's pretty limited. It, it's, it's not the type of thing you can pop down to the the the, the big chain, uh, you know, multiplex and see, obviously. But um, it is so great. And we were talking earlier about, like, Top Gun and, like, real cinema being back. It's, it's so... it's So it's Irish language, but it's also... It's extremely limited amount of dialogue. There's not a lot of talking. There's an awful lot of incredibly simple, but incredibly effective uh, uh, moments where the story is conveyed with such what what seems simple, but again, it's such a lost art. Like really basic scenes and characters' actions, and you, you it's like you you gleam so much from the way things are shot. It's just it's a real it's a film nerd's film. I feel like I feel like people will just watch this and just absolutely love it and it's incredibly heartfelt and sweet um uh, uh and it's it's fantastic i mean it is really i can't think it's praises enough uh, i popped it straight to the top of the uh, the the films of 2022 list on my end uh I, it was great it was great and the lead performance is is fantastic obviously you're always rolling the dice with a movie like this when it's like a 10 year old girl is the main character uh but she's great she's really fantastic so yeah that is a big recommendation if people can Get to a cinema that's showing that, but I'm sure it'll be on streaming uh, soon enough. Um, yeah, that was the uh, that was movie guff for this week. Stuff, pretty good. Very good. We will uh, jump in to the game guff before we get into the games. Ball, any anything from from the the summer game fest stuff catch your eye? Anything worth chatting about? I think it's been it's, I think it's been solid, but nothing nothing too crazy. I don't think. No. Um what did I watch? I watched the uh State of Play. Mm-hmm. I watched the Xbox Bethesda, which I'm excited for Starfield, but boy did they show that off in the most boring way possible. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Bethesda games 
for better or worse. Um, <laughs> Our Sam Raimi films, absolutely. They always have some, despite their you know the Bethesdaness of them. They all have some uh, personality that I felt we didn't see at all with Starfield. It just felt like a sterile gray space thing. Oh, you can craft in it. Yeah, crafting was a thing you would advertise seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, what else? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, Everything was fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah. that there's too much to stood out to me. Resident Evil 4 remake will be interesting. I need to play that original one before that comes out. Well, the funny thing about that remake is that if you haven't played the original, there are 17 currently available versions of it. You can yeah. play it on phones, you can play it on Switch, you can play it on PS4 or 5, you can play it on everything. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not too much. Yeah, not, not too much either. They, they showed off that PS5 version of Last of Us. Which, I mean, just seems like the biggest waste of time and money imaginable. I mean, I, I, like, it looks better, you know. Um, well, it does and it doesn't. Um, there are more points of articulation on the faces now, which is the main oh. thing. Um, looking back on that original footage, it's like Ellie has, like, three points on her face mm-hmm. that move. Do you know what I mean? So, obviously, that's better. But they're doing this thing now that so many games do, and it's just kind of like, I don't know if it is if it is literally ray tracing or it's just another similar futuristic light tech, but it's just kind of like a scene that used to have a certain very particularly finely crafted, like, cinematic-style lighting now looks way worse because oh what we've done is we've upgraded the tech so that the light behaves more realistically it's like well that, that's less interesting to look at than than mm-hmm. than the old lighting um and so every every bit of footage they've shown of it just kind of has this gray washed out um color palette that i don't love i wonder if that's bethesda's excuse for starfield maybe i mean maybe yeah i mean they're, they're making their space game uh and they're they're you know you're jumping around on the moon um not know. a single alien in that, by the way. Just people, yeah, Just boring it was, humans. It was. I felt it was very dry, and I feel like they they probably felt obligated to because it's been quiet for so long. I think they just felt like they had to show it, you know. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Not. Not too much else. Not too much else. The Horizon PSVR two thing looks good, but I just hope. I hope a PSVR two is not like eight hundred quid. Is my main hope. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Um. Anyway, onto the games that are actually out and that you can play right now. Um, just before we started the show, I was playing Point P. On, I've heard of Point P. On the Android telephone. Oh. Uh, this is a Netflix game. Yeah, this is the Downwell people, isn't it? Yes. Now, Downwell is excellent. And suppose, as an aside, if you've not played Downwell, get that. That's on your... It's it's on consoles, but it's a phone game. It's made to be played on, on, a, on a vertical touchscreen. So yeah, they made a game for Netflix. Um, very, It's very easy to breeze past that Netflix thing because it, all, it just looks like slop. It just looks like the worst fucking <laughs> Android shit that, that you wouldn't look at twice. A fucking Zombie Shredder 16 uh, Drive the Car Man and shit like that. Like, it just, it looks like absolutely, only for the fact that this is made by a, a notable team of devs. And I heard friends of mine saying it was good. I, I gave it a spin. It's good. It's it's basically, it's, um, uh, it's a platformer, but it's um, almost akin to Angry Birds. You're doing that thing where you're basically pulling back like a slingshot uh, mm. to, 
shoot your character uh, into the air. And that's basically it. You have a ground pound move that will rush you to the ground, but that's basically it. And yeah, it's, it's pretty solid. Uh, and it's got a nice colorful uh, palette. It's got a nice little uh, uh, chill soundtrack. Uh, yeah, so if you have a Netflix subscription, you can uh, you can download that. Now, the main thing I'm playing this week is I'm playing Mario Strikers Battle League, which is the latest kind of Mario sports game after the golf mm-hmm. and the tennis were not especially well uh, received. And it's kind of what you'd expect. It is a five-a-side Super Mario football game. Um, you pick four characters and you automatically have a goalie. You don't get to pick your goalie and you can't control the goalie either. Um, uh, and you play you play a very arcadey game of football with uh, over the top tackles and fancy hyper shots and things like that. Mm. And I think the core gameplay experience of it is actually really solid. Um, the the main kind of mechanic that will separate the men from the boys in the online mode is uh, is tackling and dodging um, uh, with a well timed tackle because the pitches are relatively small, obviously, because this is supposed to be. Fast, high-scoring, arcadey football, and not realistic. Uh, so, if you do a well-timed slide tackle, you can like get the ball off the person and be on your own in front of a goal uh, uh, right. within seconds. Um, but it's really good. It, it feels responsive. Um, uh, you, you know, you've got a little bit of depth there. You've got like through balls and stuff like that that you can do. So it's not just like you know pass and shoot. Um, right. Like I said, there's dodging. Uh, you get a speed boost if you successfully dodge a tackle. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. My main, my main criticism, my two main criticisms are, first of all, I put about, uh, eight hours into it. I found it to be quite kind of addicting, but hmm. all you can do is shades of Mario Kart. It's got, they have cups, right? So you play against the AI. Um, but that's basically it. You can play cups or you can play a one-off game or you can play online and that's it. Uh, if you get, if you get bored of, of beating people online, you don't have, you know, a story mode or a permanent ongoing league thing you can do. You can just shades of, of Mario Kart go in and do a cup. That's what you can do in this game as well. And it's like there's there's like six cups, and once you do them all, you've done them. Do you know? Um, yeah. uh, so that's that's one thing. The other the other criticism I have is that even though it is arcadey football, I feel like it's maybe missing just like a smidge more tools for you to use. Like I mentioned, there's through balls, right? So you're not just passing to a character. You can like knock a ball ahead so that a character can try and sprint to it, which is a nice mechanic. But I found the AI is just incredibly chaotic. And so all these things are like, if you're running down the wing with the plan to cross a ball into the box, it's potluck. If there's a character there to get it, do you know what I mean? Um, uh, It's got, you know, it's got all these mechanics crossing and through balls and timing your tackles and 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 uh delayed passes you can fake you can do fake passes and shots which is great but it's kind of like you might do that and there's just nobody there because you're because donkey kong is slide tackling yoshi at the halfway point in the pitch and you're you're down by the box you know um so and you've no ai control at all um i've also found that the uh when you're on defense you know, when you're playing like FIFA, you tap like L1 and it'll bring you to like the character who's nearest the person with the ball, right? So that you can try and challenge. This game mm. seems to just be cycling through characters. And so when like your opponents are breaking away and you're like, oh shit, I better switch to my closest defender. It just switches to the next person it has in its list. In the list. Uh, so so yeah. it feels like a weird thing to say about an arcadey, stupid Mario sports game, but I'm like, 
I, I, I need like 2% more FIFA. Do you know what I mean? I need like 2% more <laughs> actual football gameplay in there yeah. to make it perfect. Because I do think it's really good, but it's just, it is quite frustrating, when, especially if you're in like an online match against someone who's really good. And I've, I've had some really fun matches, some really good high scoring, really competitive matches. And like, when all, every every little breakthrough matters. And you, you break through and you're like, there, it's like, oh, your AI is not, following you up the pitch they're dilly dallying they went to get a pickup they went to get a star they went to get a something and you're mm. just in the box on your own you know so it's it's not perfect but i am really liking it um yeah the, the lack of features is an is is an issue it is a full price game as all switch games are you know um but does mario do the Sue celebration is what i need to know he doesn't but they there are a lot of very funny animations in it so so um uh like obviously when your character scores they do a big character specific celebration donkey kong's beating his chest and slapping the ground but sometimes and i don't it's just kind of a, a random you know pull from the from a list of animations sometimes when you score you get an angry other team uh reaction where <laughs> the goalie's like ah, what are you doing what are you doing you know they they, they do all that um Nice. Uh, yeah, so it has a nice a bit of character in it. That's again kind of lumped in with the limited amount of options. You've like eight characters, is it? Mario, Luigi, Wario, Waluigi, Yoshi, Donkey Kong, Peach, Rosalina, and that's and Donkey Kong and Bowser. So that that's your list. Uh, most of the time, you'll you'll have a, you'll have a duplicate on the enemy team because of course you will. Um, and there's only like four arenas uh and the way they do it is kind of like it's like the arenas come out of some dimensional holes so if i'm playing from the mushroom kingdom and my enemy team is playing from the spooky mansion the pitch is half and half which is a cool aesthetic but there's no story mode explaining why that is there's no setup at all for why you're you're playing this interdimensional football game and there's a very limited set of arenas so it's just it's a little bit bare bones but uh, i am enjoying it um, it's one of those things that, like, if Nintendo had a Game Pass equivalent, I'd be telling everyone to run out and grab mm-hmm. it. But at, at sixty bones, it's um, it's it's a bit steep. Mm. But uh, yeah, that is Super Mario uh, Strikers Battle League, which is a dreadful name for that game. But um, uh, also on the Nintendo Switch, I've been playing Ollie Ollie World. Um, Do you ever play Ollie Ollie? I don't think you did. Have you ever talked about that? No, I've never even heard of it. Uh, it is a 2D skateboarding game. Uh, and it's the first two are very good. They're quite hard. It's 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 obviously it's 2D, so it's not really comparable to either of them, but it's more skate than Tony Hawk. I'll say that. It, it, it's right. more it's one of those games where you have like a landing button. Do you know what I mean? So oh. you're not you're not you're not just jumping in the air and doing seven million tricks. Uh Ollie Ollie <laughs> World, this is the uh this is the the third game in the series. It has a fantastic look, which is a bit of a, a, a leap from the previous games. It's the comparison most people made is it looks very adventure tiny. It looks very Pendleton Ward uh, uh, project. Really nice looking game. Uh, very kind of chilled vibes. Very nice lo-fi soundtrack. And it's kind of more of the uh, uh, of the same from the previous games. It's it's a pretty challenging two D skater where the um, the challenges are more kind of about platforming and navigation, less so than tricks. You can do tricks and grinds all sorts of stuff, and there are some kind of score challenges, but there's an awful lot of uh, dodge these obstacles, break three of these, uh, finish the level without bailing, things like that. Um, 
Uh, it is more of a kind of uh, very fast-paced uh, uh, platformer in some ways with a, a, a skateboarding motif. It's really good. Um, I, I enjoy those first two games. I think I enjoy this game a lot more than both of those. It has way more character. Um, uh, it has great audio-visual package. And I'm really, really enjoying it. And it's, I think it's 30 quid. And I got it on sale for 20 during that current. There's a Switch sale on the moment. Um so yeah, enjoying that. Uh, on the Game Pass front, I am playing Norco on the PC, uh, which is a point-and-click adventure. I'm kind of too early in it to make too much of a judgment call. It's kind of a grey-brown kind of dystopian cyberpunk future type thing where uh, you are a, a, a girl who left home and kind of backpacked around and fucked around for a few years, uh, and then your, your, uh, your mom passes away, so you go home. And that's where things lead off. I, it, I'm very early on. It has a nice sense of style, but I I, I can't uh, can't say too much on it just yet. But that is a PC Game Pass game. And on the console Game Pass, I'm playing Sniper Elite Five, which is the uh, Nazi testicle exploding game. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, I've I've never played one of these games, despite them looking right up my alley. Uh, they're mainly stealth games uh, with not quite as good, but this one in particular has a very kind of hitmany kind of uh, vibe where you're dropped on like this a really large map and you have to try and get into some Nazi castle or base or whatever. And there's a million different routes and you can do 10 different ways and, uh, and all this other stuff. You can like knock out um, sergeants and they'll have a key that will get you access to an area that will give you an alternate route. Or you can just snipe from a distance and try and clear out the map going sniper mode it's that kind of game which is right up my alley and i i think it's i think it does that quite well and of course it does have the slow-mo kill cams that you can tweak in the menus how often you want them i have them turned up to high because the novelty is not worn off yet <laughs> and every time you 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 kill someone with your sniper rifle you get this extremely gratuitous slow motion follow the bullet through the air and then like like even more violent than like an x-ray move in mortal Kombat. it's like it shows the bullet going in and exploding a specific eyeball and then popping out the back of their head and they do have fully 4k modeled testicles that you can blow up if you shoot them in the walls um, you know, it's got like it's got like a like anatomically correct list of organs inside every Nazi in the game uh, that you can you can blow up and uh, yeah. So obviously, it's got that kind of showy gratuitousness to it, but I think it's it handles really well um, as an actual stealth game. I will say that the AI is a bit hit and miss. I I, I did one section on stream where I was like, um, there was these two dudes uh, uh, kind of patrolling outside a chateau. And I lured one of them over to me, uh, and I did a little uh, uh, cutthroat stealth animation thing. And the game doesn't have vision cones or any of that stuff. It's kind of a low-tech kind of stealth kind of game. So I don't know if his buddy saw me or not. And there's no big there's no big message on screen, you were spotted. So I'm just kind of like, did, he, did his friend see that? And then I could just see in the background that his friend, like, quickly ducked into cover and started to flank me. I was like, oh, that's mm. actually really like he did see me and rather than just doing dumb video game shit and just shooting me he started to flank around me I was like oh this is actually really interesting and then when he tried when he came to when he completed his flank he got hung up on a piece of level geometry and didn't kill me <laughs> I fought him with zero issue uh, and that that type of thing has happened to me like twice in my very limited time playing it so you know it's uh, it has a bit of a mid-range B-tier kind of game feel about it which is a bit of a lost uh, a lost tier in gaming, but I'm enjoying it. And of course that is free if you are a game pass subscriber. Uh, uh, so it's, uh, 
it's worth taking a look. Those are the games. I've been playing a lot of games lately, and I've been playing a lot of good ones. So uh, enjoying those. What about you? What are you playing at the moment? I'm not playing any modern games. Okay. Nor am I playing games with funny names like uh, Ali Ali, Point P, or Orcos and Norcos. Um, I've been playing Metroid Prime, which I finished now. Okay. Uh, and now I'm playing Metroid Zero Mission. So, really enjoyed Metroid Prime, as you might expect. One of the uh, one of the all time greats. And uh, I think I said l- last time I did the podcast, I said it's probably the most impressive transition I've seen from 2D to 3D in terms of properly retaining the feel of the the 2D world. So, a really good transposition of that to the 3D. Um. But yeah, I just, you know, I, I felt completely differently about it than I did with something like Guardians of the Galaxy, where Guardians of the Galaxy, I felt like, was super, you know, solid. As I said, it looked great, good little story. But I felt, gameplay-wise, I was just doing the same thing for six straight hours, and I got really bored of it. Metroid is constantly changing what you're doing. Obviously, it's a it's a Metroidvania at its core. It's, it's exploration and shooting stuff, but... You're constantly getting new power-ups that change how you interact with the world. Um, throughout the, like, it took me 14 hours to beat. So throughout the 14 hours, you're never spending more than one hour playing in the same way. Um, the control is very easy to get to grips with compared to something like Dread, which mm. obviously some people had have problems <laughs> with. I didn't because I'm, you know, get good. You're bro. a pro. You're but, a pro um, game from yeah. But Metro Prime is, is very simple. It's, it's just, you know, you have your, your right stick is to change your your uh, arm cannon type, and the D-pad is just change your visor type. Apart from that, it's just jump, shoot, shoot your missiles, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, what a great what a great world, great atmosphere. Bumping up the, the resolution three times doesn't hurt either. Makes mm. the, the world look even better. Um. Yeah, just really, really impressed by, especially that this was the developer's first game, Retro Studios, who now have gone on to make lots of games for Nintendo, the the, the Donkey Kong reboot and the other Prime games. Um, yeah, really, really very, very impressive. Uh, I, I, I'd hesitate to say it's my favorite Metroid game because I've only obviously played what are considered to be the really good ones so far. I, yeah. I, I do want to dip my toe into all the the mainline games apart from Other M, which is the one that people just have no time for, which is the one that, um, was it Ninja Theory made it? Yeah. Apparently, apparently it's no good, but I'll definitely want to go back and play the other one. So that's why I'm starting with Metroid Zero Mission, which is a GBA remake of the original Metroid on NES. Um, so I'm playing that at the moment. It feels very like Super Metroid, which obviously I love. Uh, and again, the only ones I've played to this point have been Super Metroid, Metroid Dread, and Metroid Prime. So now I'm I'm, I'm going to do Zero Mission, which, as I said, is a remake of Metroid 1. I'm going to play Samus Returns on 3DS, which came out just a few years ago, which was made by the same team who did Dread. That is um, a remake of Metroid 2 on Game Boy. Then I've played Super Metroid already. Mm-hmm. Then I've played Metroid Fusion, which is the one between Super Metroid and Dread. And then Prime 2, Prime 3. That's basically it. I'm not going to play your your DS. Uh, I was, was going to be my next question. Was if you... Federation for it. No. Yeah. I'm going to play the ones that are really the, the, the premium tier Metroid games. And, and that'll be it. So 
luckily the, the Metroid games have a tendency to be shorter than longer. There's no Jurassic Park Dominions in here. Uh, I think the, the 2D ones are all in the range of like five hours, give or take. And then the Prime Trilogy are all like 14 hours, uh, give or take. Probably the third one is like the easiest one as well. So we'll see. Um, I'll, I will say as far as Prime goes, certainly uh, the last boss definitely appreciated the uh, the save states on the old uh, Xbox. <laughs> Made my life a bit easier having that hot keyed and just being able to uh, squeak my way past a bit of the boss without taking too much damage. <clears throat> Save. Yeah. Uh, what I do find though, my my personal mapping, which is which is only for GameCube anyway, is that I I, I press in the left thumbstick to save because the the GameCube doesn't have L three R three. The buttons pressing in doesn't do anything. And then I use the left bumper for loading my save because again the GameCube didn't have only had the triggers and the Z button on the right hand side it doesn't have anything on the left. But what I find is when I'm playing a particularly difficult part of the game and I start panicking, I push that thumbstick in and it saves, uh, and I'm like in the lava or something and it creates a save state there rather than the save state where I, I created it myself before the hard bit. Um, so that's I might I might think about how how to better do that, but um. Very, very good. Uh, thoroughly enjoying the old Xbox setup, as I said. I, I find it hard now to go back to games where I don't have immediate save state saving and loading yeah. at, at, at the click of a button. Um, even like the, the Metroid games, which I will legally uh, uh, have to state again that I do own these games. Even on the SNES Mini, you have to like reach forward and press. Is it the reset button you press to do a save state? I forget how the save states work on the SNES Mini, but there's some, some convoluted shit. Just let me press a button on my controller where my finger already is. That's how I'll do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Metroid Zero Mission at the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've only played it for a little while, but I'm already like a sixth of the way through the game. Like I said, those games are pretty small, uh, especially that they're Game Boy Advance games. They're not going to be uh, as big as something like Prime is. But very, very much enjoy the old Metroid games. Definitely interested to, to, to branch out into Castlevania maybe afterwards. Ooh. But, um, have you played the any Metroid? Of I've not played any. So I, I started. I actually need to get back to. I started that journey when I got my little handheld. Uh, oh baby, you want to talk about save states? Oh my god, that first game is ridiculous. Absolutely yeah. fucking ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to get back to that. Actually, yeah, I want to get back to that. Um, yeah. well, that's the good thing with Metroid is that they've remade all the all the old games. So I, I'm not going to play the NES games. I'm going to play the remakes. Yeah, those. yeah, makes it a bit easier. Um, so that's all the game goof. That's all the game goof, yeah. No, that, that series S stuff is great. I'm actually getting so far down the rabbit hole now, I'm even thinking about getting, like, getting, there's some, like, early builds of, like, standalone PS2 emulators on, um, uh, series S. The, the PS2 stuff in RetroArch is still very, very wonky. Um, uh, very hit. Yeah, I've only played a little bit of PS2. I played a bit of SmackDown on it. Um, well, funnily and enough, will the wrestling games work really well, thankfully. so They work really well, except when you have your uh, load save state button mapped to L1, which is... Oh, no! <laughs> so you can't do a finisher. It just tells you, uh, some states aren't supported for this game. Yeah. I'm like, no, do the rock bottom, brother. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a bit wonky. So, I'm, again, uh, some of that stuff will it actually still requires dev mode, but it's just fun. It's fun to mess around with, you know. Um, anyway, yeah. oh, my God, wrestling. Oh, let's talk about it. 
I mean, we'll have to. I mean, you know, it's we'll have to skip over MJF promo from about a lifetime ago because uh, uh, that that's that's slipped down the, the the priority list in the last few weeks. But uh, I mean, oh my God, where to start? I mean, I suppose the big the big. Uh, the real big story, I suppose, is the Vince McMahon Wall Street Journal story. Uh, this is, if you have somehow not seen or heard about this, I don't know how you found this podcast. Um, <laughs> um, you know, Vince. So I'm trying to get the chain of events here correct. In April, someone notified the WWE Board of Directors that their friend had been paid three million quid hush money by Vince McMahon after they had an affair. Yeah. And she used to work for him. Yeah. So that was the initial sequence of events. And then it also came out that he effectively passed her off, quote unquote, to John Laurinaitis. She took a job with John Laurinaitis uh, and they had an affair. And this is all contained within this this uh, uh, hush money pact. And then I guess, again, I don't know when, how long this article was in the works, but at some stage, I guess someone from the board of directors then leaked that to the press. Um, and contained within that story in the, in, in the Wall Street Journal was that they are also looking into an unspecified number of other reports, which in fucking, for Vince McMahon, that could be fucking, that could be as many as fucking episodes of Raw as there's been. <laughs> you know, uh, we really don't know. Um, so that's being looked into. Uh, when that news broke, everyone was like, well, it's Vince, he's never going to face any consequences for it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and even though it's not a real massive consequence, it was still interesting to me that he did uh, step down as CEO. Um, what day would that have been? Friday. Uh, and Stephanie is back in the fold. Of all people, of all people, the stepping away from WWE uh, person uh, stepped right fucking back um, <laughs> <laughs> at the first opportunity. And now Sorted all that personal read stuff out very quickly. Yeah, I have no more personal reasons. Uh, <laughs> all my all my, all my, my reasons are done. Uh, and she is now acting CEO uh, in in Vince's place. But in just, in, tr- in true WWE fashion, he's still head of creative and is still like at work every day. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, it is the most tokenistic kind mm. of like whatever um uh, uh punishment so that th- this will be ongoing for as long as the investigations go on uh and then he booked himself to show up on smackdown uh one last round of applause please for being great if i may <laughs> uh which he got as well which is even more pathetic oh, um, yeah yeah people is high-fiving him when they came down yeah bowing uh <laughs> i'm surprised there wasn't a i'm surprised there wasn't a thank you vince chant you know Oh, um, that's appalling! I haven't, it was I haven't watched SmackDown probably seven years since I last watched a SmackDown. Honestly, yeah. and I don't want to sound like a snob, but the people in the audience—they were the the pigs. Like I, they were just scanning the audience, and they're just awful. What else? Someone was wearing a Rick Boogs T-shirt. <laughs> I refuse to believe that anyone would buy that with their own money. That was a plan. Maybe it was Rick Boogs himself. Yeah. I don't know. I don't recognize him. Yeah, oh, maybe that's the new thing. Is they're not booger eating degenerates; they're boog wearing degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was interesting. I did, I did, what I did watch SmackDown. I, well, not the whole thing. Obviously, I waited until Vince did his little thing, and then I immediately switched over and watched Rampage. 
but yeah, that, that was intriguing. I don't know what to make of it. I, I think it's it's just a thing of him saying, look, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. You might have read something. That's all bullshit. I'm still here. I'm still on TV. Yeah. I'm still it was it was Succession WWE. Just though. waving his willy on you know network yeah. television. He, he was in wasn't trying to convince anyone of his innocence. I don't think he nope. cares really. Wants to. Nope. Yeah. No, it's it's Succession is what it yeah. is. It's uh, it was it was the most transparent power play. Yeah. And it's funny because now, you know, ourselves by virtue of watching succession i think have a, a more of a, a albeit a, a, a fictionalized mm. more of an insight on the kind of power plays that take place on, on that executive mm. level so we see vince come out and go well, well welcome to smackdown he said sound like Val Kilmer. <laughs> um <laughs> and he goes you know there's at the, the, the WWE signature. There's four words. Then, now, forever, together. Unlike me and my wife. Oh. Um, <laughs> I go, and then he just leaves. Like, what? What's, what was what's the point of it all? Other than to just come out waving his dick around and be like, "Well, <laughs> nothing you can do to me, baby." Shocking stuff. Like it was tr- so transparent. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty like disgusting. Actually, I, I like I, I, I like. How how does someone like some suit in Fox or someone on the board say don't do that don't do that <laughs> exactly I couldn't believe it um, because he's Vince McMahon and he's fucking running this place yeah do he was and no and, and Fox probably saw well people are going to tune in to see what mad shit he's got to say mm. and they didn't yeah. say it. which they did I mean it looks like people really did tune in in droves which is funny um, yeah so that's um, that that is ongoing. Uh, there is talk that there's a uh, follow up article in the works, and I mean, I was explaining this to to, to Brona as, as like a non fan. I was like, the amount of like open secret things that like if a journalist now, while it's the hot topic, if the, if a, if a real outlet wanted to probe on a lot of that stuff, they easily could. Mm. Um, and, and who knows the level of. Um, the level of shitstorm coming um, Vince's way, but I mean, he's he's been Teflon for his whole fucking life, basically. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, fascinating. Um, amidst all this, uh, I mean, well, we we now we understand why he had to stay his head of creative because only he could book Roman Brock uh, seventeen. Only he could do that. Oh, you know? um, uh, I mean, SummerSlam, baby. I mean, what? Where, where are we getting our flights? Do you know what I mean? When are we? <laughs> Yeah. Oh god, it's just so hilarious. Um amidst all of this, there was also a a report uh or a, I mean, it seems it seems far from con- confirmed, maybe a little ill-advised to put this out there so already, but uh, WrestleZone did did report that uh, uh it appears Sasha Banks has been released. There's been no public statement officially to say that. A couple of other people have looked into it and said, mm, "Not really." Uh but some people are also saying she's she's legally pursuing the option to get released. So uh, if it wasn't already obvious, it seems like that relationship is. It seems like it's pretty much done. So and now we're 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 looking at the clock and we're 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 seeing how long it takes for for the uh, the rubber to meet the road on that. Mm. Yeah, I think there must be something to it. Uh, we'll find out what that is. I don't think she's going to be on dynamite next week. No, maybe the week after. 
don't know. Maybe the week after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny as well because it's just like when she does get out, everything everything you know about her would suggest she'll probably want to like not necessarily just go straight to another wrestling. Maybe she'll want to go to Japan for a while or, you know. Mm. Just be just be a free agent and not have to worry straight away about being back on television as a TV wrestling star, you know. Um, you know, yeah, she could walk into AEW and be not just the top women's star, but one of the top stars, really. One of the yeah, absolutely Absolute one stars. of the best wrestlers as well. Yeah, I can see her, her and Jade Cargill face to face. Not yet, maybe down the line, but that that's, maybe down the line. Yeah, 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 build that, build up to that big money match. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Just have a squash Britt Baker and all that, that all that. Oh yeah, the, get around. All there. the riffraff, they're all, <laughs> little crap, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, definitely, uh, if, uh, the thing about this story is that unfortunately, I feel like this this is just going to be a slow burning thing that's not going to get mm. resolved very quickly. Um, uh, but we will uh, we will see. Other than that, uh, as if that's not enough, you know, um, you know, a couple of other bits and pieces here. Randy Orton's injured out for the rest of the year, which kind of, you know, <laughs> explains why they're doing the same match again for SummerSlam. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, that roster is looking pretty, uh, pretty slim at the moment. Um, you know, yeah, Forbidden Door starting to come together. The card, I'm, I'm way down on it now. The closer it gets, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll probably still be a decent show. But uh, well, it's been a strange few weeks. There's been a lot of, I think, before the. Um, oh, we didn't mention the Jeff Hardy thing either. Kind of forgot about that. Oh was, God, yeah. Oh my God. He got. Yeah, he was driving like four horror. times over the legal limit in Florida, which in America it has to be like a couple of points. Because um, um, their driving culture is just so bizarre over there. Why, why do they insist? Why is this drunk driving? Like, it's, I get. Okay, you're an addict. You're gonna drink. You're gonna do drugs. You, you know. You, you want to stop, but you can't, whatever. But why? He could afford a driver. You know what I mean? Like, what? I, don't, I just yeah, don't, I don't get, get the... Why put yourself in that situation? Maybe it's just you, you're yeah. so drunk, you're so high, you can't, like, decide. But I don't know. It's very strange. But, uh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> but before, before, yeah. before that, I think, before that and before the Vince news broke, there's a lot of the narrative for me the last few weeks has, since we've been off has been around kind of AEW's booking and things i don't say falling apart but things just getting very messy and yeah Mm -hmm. i think that's been it's kind of inevitable really with the quick turnaround between double or nothing and uh forbidden door like it's only three and a half weeks so suddenly they had to pivot away from the normal sort of storylines into oh now we're all you know bringing in all the new japan guys so that was a mess uh and then of course punk getting injured was a stroke of of, uh, bad luck um, but I, I do agree. Like you watch it some weeks, and there is just so much going on. Even this week with like the tag title was changed hand, change hands, and then Christian turns like two minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all right, oh, 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 I just got tag title. <laughs> Christian's turning, and then God knows what's happening next. It, it, it does feel like overkill at, at times. I don't think it's necessarily as bad as people have made out. Like I don't think they're kind of you know, falling apart, but it, it is definitely like a bumpy ride the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause the TV is like, it's peppered with that weird stuff, but still lots of like good matches, but yeah, great matches. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's just been some weirdness. Like I know it was very, it was like a hot debate 
two weeks ago when like the Wardlow's promo explaining why he wasn't in the fucking battle royal. To me, it was just kind of like I think it would have been better to just say nothing. Do you know what I mean? Because he came out and he was like, "I, I." want to win the real title. I was like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. And then he's like, I'll see you when you're back, CM Punk. I was like, well, wait, the quickest way to do yeah. that would be to win the fucking interim thing. Yeah, then you and face, then face him, you know. Yeah. Um, I tell, you know like, why, why didn't they just have him get taken out? Like, he was supposed to be in the Battle Royal, but he gets taken out by John, uh, by Scorpio Sky. Like, yeah, does that not make anyone. sense? Like, and then that leads into a TNT title feud. Like, does that not, I don't know, make sense? Yeah. Tony Khan, call me. I can fix this. Yeah. The funny thing is that that battle royal was full of, ge- full of geeks. Yeah, yeah. Like there was hardly anyone in it who was like title worthy. Let's say. Yeah, very yeah. strange. It was an odd one. Uh, speaking of Wardlow, oh my god, that match with the plaintiffs this week. That was abysmal. Oh my god, that was terrible. That was proper bush league stuff. Didn't know what the rules were. Everyone yep. was all over the place. Oh, my God. Oh. Dasha on Ring announcing didn't know. She was saying right at the beginning, oh, these people have been eliminated. And then she went back to number one. He's pinning six people at the same time. And they're like, they're like face down and shit like that. It's so stupid. It was that, was, that wasn't even the, the, the biggest problem. It was just that it was, he would, it was Gary's the Galaxy, basically. He would get grab one guy, give him a power bomb, grab the next guy, give him a power bomb. Give another guy a power bomb, put him in a pile, pin him, repeat, and he just he would do that again and again and again. There was no flow to anything. He was just re- re- repeated the same spot five times, and then he mm. won. Yeah, it. I liked at the end when he bombed them onto the pile. So apart from that, it was boring shite. Yeah, it should have been a battle royal. Like just just throw him over the top rope or whatever. But anyway, you know why he's doing all this. Yeah, Mark Sterling feuding with Wardlow is. Uh, I like Mark Sterling, and I, I did really grow to like him. Yeah. But like, mm. he, he's he's been replaced. He has been so obviously replaced by Stokely, and I feel like they're kind of. It's it's a shame because feels everything else he's doing, it feels like he's running on fumes, which is why they've kind of tacked him onto this Wardlow thing. Mm. Um, yeah. Hopefully that's the end of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't. Yeah. There shouldn't be any more of this. <laughs> let him. Let him just have a TNT title feud now. Um, yeah. Uh, as for uh, the rest of AEW TV, um, uh, the last while, you know, some good stuff. The Osprey Harwood match was was great this week. Um, uh, they're getting their money's worth of Osprey this last few weeks of TV. He's having another match next week. Um, Blood and guts coming up. Um, <laughs> I couldn't believe. That Jericho didn't lose the hair as their match. I knew he wouldn't. It's like I, I think he would. Like everyone was so adamant. I was like, why would they shave the heel like two weeks before Blood and Guts? Yeah. Of because course. look at his head. Look at the state of his hair. But that's that's gr- that's what Jericho's great because he's gonna keep talking about how great a rock star he is with his beautiful hair, despite the fact that he has a gigantic bald spot. <laughs> He's got the fryer tuck gimmick. It's, oh, yeah, he really does. So of course he'd keep it. Of course he'd keep it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The the ladder match this week was really fun. I thought, and mm-hmm. um, as played out as ladder matches are, I thought it was it was really great. Um. Uh. I I I enjoy Christian saying you raised a piece of shit to Jungle Boy's mam, yeah. which was good. <laughs> Sneaky little. Um, was, uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's like yeah, they gave the little middle fingers to. Oh, it was great. oh, wrestling's great again. 
that made that made the fight the fight subscription worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, yeah. It faded back from black and went on for like another ten minutes. Yeah, they they, they did a whole happened. they did the whole long uh, injury the thing. overrun. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to some heel Christian, uh, just some more Christian in general, like in, in a more prominent position than just you know mm. jungle boys. I was magic. watching some old Christian in the week. Go on. Remember when he was Captain Charisma? Oh, he still is, mate. Uh, I think he, mm, boring old granddad is what he is now. How dare you? What? He's the most boring man in the world. Oh, fuck off. What, what are you talking about? Remember he used to he'd come out and be um, with his little big giant hood on and he'd be all cool. Now he's just a boring old white lad. <laughs> boring old Canadian. He's taking Lance Storm's gimmick. No. He's good. He's good. It'll be healing. I was, I was. It'll be healing it up now. Uh, now he's away so, from the kind of white meat baby face. But he needs to be so over the top. He needs to be over the top, Christian. Mm. Not quite edging Christian, Christian, but like, God, Christian was he? He perfected his character in like '05 with Tom Coe as the problem solver. It was the best thing on Raw back in the day. Right. I don't think you're getting that anytime soon. Ah, come on. Let's do the old legacy run, brother. Because Christian, uh, since he joined AEW, anyway, has just been the he's just been boring old Christian. No, 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 not having that. No. Not having that. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I calls him like I see him. No, not at all. Not at all. No. Stop that. No. <laughs> um, uh, anything else on AEW Forbidden Door? You know, Tanahashi versus Moxley is on the cards. I like how much they trusted Tanahashi with on the mic. Yeah. He said, Jennifer, shut up. It was a very Vince guttural shut up, wasn't it? From, yeah. from the base of his stomach. I loved it. Um, yeah. yeah, that match would be great. I, I, I feel like Tanahashi's winning. I feel like he's going to be the... Because um, obviously then they can go back to the punk match in a few months. Um, uh, <laughs> I feel like it would be weird to go to see him punk and Moxley. That feels like a match they'll probably want to save for like mm, way down the line. Um, uh, it, it is feeling like this Forbidden Door is uh, is like we're not getting all the New Japan stars no. over for it. it, it it's, it's weird in that it, it feels like a half measure. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know what? They probably want to do it more than once based on the tickets and selling out and all that. So they're like, all right, multi-man tags it is. <laughs> there's always there's always Forbidden Door 2023, boys. Yeah. Um, you know, Osprey, Orange Cassidy, I'm sure that would be good. Um, Apparently, it was supposed to be Andrade. That's way less interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah. Wasn't. He, what was he tweeting during the week? He's like, <laughs> I love. Uh, I love. Um. Uh. I think. I think it's. I don't know if it's just like a lucha thing, but those lads are just way more inclined to just go on Twitter and be like, not allowed to work this show. Thumbs up emoji <laughs> because of because of AAA or whatever it is. Like he's just. He's just like, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Uh, it was funny. Um. I don't know the details of that. It seems very odd. I guess. And people, are, I mean, I, I was already assuming Malachi Black was winning anyway, but most people are guessing Pentagon won't be on that show mm, either mm, um, yeah. because AAA, uh, because uh, uh, CMLL are New Japan's uh, um, uh, lucha partner of choice um, these days. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, Miro did beat Ethan Page in the longest match of all time this week. Uh, For the all, in the All-Atlantic title tournament. We didn't even talk about that. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, God, the new belt. Yeah. Enough belts already. Enough belts. I think it looks nice, at least. I'll give them that. It's like the invasion like, all over again. Uh, Everyone has a belt. Yeah. They're referencing the Ring of Honor belts, and they're doing a Ring of Honor title unification thing next. Yeah, they're door. doing the AAA tag belts, and they're yeah. doing. I, I have a feeling FTR are going to win the IWGP. Oh yeah, tag titles, and then do a unification fight with the Bucks for all four tag titles. Wow. That's my prediction. So that's a that's a good prediction. That would be interesting. Be like two Ultimo Dragons, what yeah, basically. That's my prediction. Oh, by the way, Paul, I was thinking the other day. Remember we did our mm. Premier League predictions at the start of the season? Oh, yeah. did we? <laughs> oh, I, I, I just thought of it with the season ended and I was like, wait, yeah, we did okay, our predictions. Yeah, I don't remember when though. But I remember we did. If you can it. dig that out for next week, we could uh, see who. Yeah, let me have a look for that. We can dig, dig those out. I remember doing it because I remember, I don't want to spoil next week's, but I remember one prediction I had, which was not correct. Man, you're not here to win the league. I, <laughs> uh, no, Leeds to have a good season. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, oh dear. Oh. Yeah, I'll, I'll get that for next week. Nice, nice. that's a feature. <laughs> yep. Should have done, done that in May. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, yeah, and I think that's going to wrap up this uh Big old blockbuster of a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be back uh, next week, I guess. Uh, to, we usually do one of these a week um, <laughs> to chat about uh, the same stuff we chat about this week. You know? um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, sorry for the time away, but the boys are back in town. If you want to get in touch with us, chairshoppodcast.com. There's an email form. You can also pop us a question on the Twitter if you wanted to do it that way. But, you know, we do it the email segment. If, yeah, if, if, if you have if you can get fit in there with all the numbers that Joe's doing on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, with all that, uh, uh, said, we'll say farewell for now. And thank you very much for listening. It is goodbye from me, Barry. It's goodbye from Paul. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Joe. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.